Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. We're so glad you have joined us for this sermon. You can find all our sermons at our website, holycommunion.net. My mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, at 6.02 this morning, I turned 72. <laughs> to say the least, I'm profoundly grateful for the gift of years, good health, a loving family, and challenging work. I'm glad my mom hung in there for a painful and protracted labor. I'm glad her nurses kept her calm while I struggled in the breach. And I'm especially glad my dad was the administrator of the local hospital in which I was born, an important bit of reassurance in the wild west town of Cody, Wyoming, in 1949. But now, three score and 12 years later, the canons of the Episcopal Church require that I retire. Not necessarily from ministry, just from the pension plan. You know, it's an Episcopal thing. Thankfully, diocesan bishops also are allowed the discretion annually to extend a retired priest service, and I'm grateful that mine has been. After Thanksgiving, Debbie and I will move to Longmont, Colorado, just north of Boulder, to be close to her older son and his wife. She'll continue her elder law practice in St. Louis, even as she develops new relationships in Colorado. As for me, I hope to serve congregations whose priest is on an extended leave, assist in mediating contentious situations that may emerge within the diocese, and continue to write chapters for each other's keeper, the Church's response to violence. And in each, dear friends, I will carry the grace you've shared and the priest you've shaped. Now, as with any of the changes in the seasons of our lives, retirement, even if only partial, is an opportunity for personal reflection, a chance to take stock and a time to consider what we've done and what we've left undone. Perhaps like many of you as a child of the 60s, I had visions of changing the world. As a young academic and executive, I had dreams of revolutionizing health care. And as a second career priest, I hoped to transform the entire St. Louis community. <laughs> Sadly, I too often lack the humility to appreciate that none of these lofty goals were fully achievable, and certainly not by me alone. But you know, somewhere along the way, a kernel of wisdom began to sprout as I took greater notice, not just of the needs of the world around me, but of the individuals who inhabit it. Their pain, their fears, and their sorrows and certainly as well as their hopes, aspirations, and plans. And perhaps most importantly, 
I came to understand that all change comes one life at a time. The teacher, for example, who extends an extra measure of time to a student delayed in academic achievement only because he's a slow reader. A nurse who holds the hand of a COVID patient as she transitions from our hands to God's. And a parent who inquires about the presence of guns in the neighbor's house before allowing a playover. To be sure, these isolated gestures won't heal our educational or healthcare systems, let alone the gun violence so prevalent across our nation. But each is significant, perhaps transformative, in the life of a single individual. Each is an act of faith, of hope, of healing. And each is small progress in achieving the social change that too often seems insurmountable. The story of Jesus' encounter with the blind man in today's gospel echoes a similar theme. One person changing the life of another forever. As Jesus and an apparently large crowd were leaving the storied city of Jericho, a blind man named Bartimaeus shouted out to him as Julie so loudly proclaimed, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. For whatever reasons, the crowd rebuffed him, telling him just to be quiet. But in the midst of the crowd's irritation with a man mucking up their stroll with Jesus, he orders the crowd to have the blind man come forward. Now immediately, the attitude of the crowd changes, and they encourage him to get up and go to Jesus. Bartimaeus then throws off the cloak and heads directly to him. Although the man had simply requested God's mercy, Jesus asked for clarification, for specificity. What do you want me to do for you, he inquires. Bartimaeus responds by asking for the return of his sight. Without hesitation, Jesus heals him and sends him on his way, remarking that it was Bartimaeus' faith that had made him well. There was no extended conversation with Bartimaeus. There were no props like the mud and spit of previous healings. And there was no teaching moment with the disciples. The man asked to be healed, and he was. Simple as that. One man, one life changed forever. Now, as straightforward as this text appears, it reveals much about who you and I are. Take the crowd, for example. Presumably, they had been traveling with Jesus, most recently visiting the city of Jericho. They listened to him preach. They clamored to hear him teach, and they were moved by him and wanted more. Huh. Into their midst, however, enters a blind man who disrupts this lovely scene. He's persistent. He's pushy. He's likely heard about Jesus' powers and has come to understand him as God's royalty, the very son of David. And as such, he desires the king's mercy, 
to have his sight restored. Despite his infirmity and a faith he shares with everyone around him, the crowd sees him as an intruder. But rather than just ignoring him, they tell him to shut up, F-bomb implied. Dear friends, how often are you and I part of the same crowd? How often do we glare at those in our midst who are hobbled, disfigured, or behaviorally challenged? How often do we roll our eyes when worship is interrupted by free-ranging children <laughs> and other late arrivals? Hi, Sai Sai. And how often do we bristle when one among us advances a theological or political position decidedly different than our own? Let's be honest. We've each been part of the crowd who wanted to walk with Jesus without any interruptions from those who may actually have needs other than our own. And while Jesus' hospitality and generous embrace of Bartimaeus stands in sharp contrast to our too often failure to welcome those who interrupt our lives, it is Bartimaeus' response to Jesus' invitation that's most striking in today's gospel. This was a man with a hope. He was a man with a purpose, and Bartimaeus was a man who knew exactly what he needed. And how do we know this? He threw away the most important possession to get up and walk to Jesus. He shed his cloak. Now this might seem insignificant to us, but it wasn't for Bartimaeus. This simple item of clothing protected him from the frigid temperatures of desert nights and the sting of blowing sand. It probably had pockets that allowed him to stow away food. And it may truly have been the one item he owned of any value at all. Nevertheless, he threw it aside just to be with Jesus. As for us, we might ask ourselves this morning what we would give up just to be with Jesus. But perhaps ultimately, what's most profound in today's lesson is Jesus' command to Bartimaeus following that healing. It's a single word. Go. Unlike so many of the miracle stories, Jesus provides no further instruction. He simply tells him to go. Now, Bartimaeus is confronted with a dilemma, a choice. Go where? With his sight now restored, we can only imagine what he might have wanted to do, who he wanted to see, where he wanted to go. Yet Bartimaeus chooses something both unexpected and eternally powerful. He simply follows Jesus on the way. He follows Jesus on Jesus' journey. In just these six short verses, 
Mark the Evangelist provides us with a tour de force on radical hospitality, stewardship, and discipleship. For each of us, Jesus models what it means and what he expects of us in our welcome of all those in need of his love, even when it interrupts our own plans. For each of us, Jesus models the riches of his grace, even as we give up those riches to which we so tenaciously cling. And for each of us, Bartimaeus models the response of discipleship, giving of ourselves and following Jesus. No doubt, Jesus is calling on each of us today to give and to go. For him, it was to give of himself for us as he went to the cross. For Bartimaeus, it was to give his cloak and follow Jesus. So what will it be for you? What will it be for me? What will we give in response to Jesus' life-saving grace? And where in the work of ministry, where we go together? Those are not just questions as we approach this season of stewardship. They are the fundamental questions of how we put our faith into practice. What will you give? Where will you go? Amen.